0: hey everyone another week another podcast but uh hey this episode is really special because we have arrived at one of the coolest books of the old testament and it's a book that if you teach yourself to enjoy you will look super cool at parties because everyone will be like Pff, i had to stop my bible in your planet leviticus and you'll be like Pff, what leviticus is so cool and here's why Well, for one reason why the last episode ended with this dramatic, climactic close of Moses being unable to enter the Holy of Holies. We see that the people of God have not maintained their sanctification, their spiritual purity. And so Leviticus is the perfect book to follow after that because Leviticus outlines the ways in which people purify and cleanse themselves to become holy and have perfect fellowship with God. Another reason why Leviticus is really cool is because it introduces us to a whole new concept that we have previously not considered within the scriptures or within this podcast. Uh, But let me tell you something. I had a friend who is currently uh, writing a book about Leviticus. I'll link her info in the show notes. Uh, But she sat down with a Jewish rabbi to gather some information for her book. And when she said that most American Christians didn't read the book of Leviticus or they stopped reading the Bible altogether because it was too boring or confusing, the rabbi looked at her with eyes wide, mouth on the floor, in utter shock. Jewish boys memorize the book of Leviticus to this day, the rabbi explained, because it outlines for us the way and character of God more clearly than any other book of the Torah, arguably uh, more than any other book of Tanakh in many, many ways. Uh, Let let me put it this way. If the 66 books of the Bible were planets in some far-off galaxy that, when studied, revealed the truth of existence. Leviticus would be one of the most imperative planets to explore and understand, and we skip it. Leviticus is like when the Vikings named the lush, life-giving, plant-filled piece of land in the Arctic, Iceland. We see the name Leviticus and we immediately turn our ship around. But it really, it's not that bad, and it is really quite truly profound. With such a profundity, however, I should say that we won't exhaust all of the different ways Leviticus shows us the characteristics of the snake crusher. I say this in almost every episode, but just in case you're jumping in now, I'm going to give you an on-ramp and tell you we won't exhaust all the different ways Leviticus shows us the snake crusher. We will hardly scratch the surface of how Leviticus teaches us the very nuances of what Jesus came to say and do, or even the various narrative ways that Leviticus radically shapes the reading of the rest of the Hebrew Bible. But what I do want to do is focus our discussion down onto one main point, namely that Leviticus shows us that the snake crusher will be a great high priest. And this does have a lot of implications, so we will have to work out a lot of what I mean by this. By priest, I mean a few different things. The role of the priesthood is best outlined in Leviticus, Leviticus chapters 8 through 10, and then it's reflected in two of its main characters, Moses and Aaron. Leviticus 8 through 10 describes a holy people group who lead the nation of Israel into practical sanctification. They lead the nation of Israel into fellowship with God, and the priesthood also administers the proper sacrifices for and with the people of Israel. This means that the job of the priest, at its most foundational understanding, was to allow the people to meet God. The priests acted as mediators between God and humanity, and if you wanted to inquire of the God of the universe that created, you know, everything, all you had to do was go to the priest and they would then walk you through the purification process that's outlined in the whole of Leviticus, which would, in essence, set you apart as a person. It would seem then that God wants to impart his holiness onto other people through the priest. And, like we just said, this purification process is what made Israel and the priests holy, like God. I'm using scare quotes there, but you can't see them. Holy. Quote-unquote, holy. (laughs) I say that because the term holy has gotten quite muddled over the centuries. The word holy is the Hebrew word chodesh, and it simply means to be different than, or set apart from. Um, So, (laughs) the first thing that I think of when I think of holy is the bathroom. The bathroom is a holy space in your house because it's used for just a handful of things that you wouldn't normally or I, I hope you wouldn't normally do in the rest of your house. Your office space might have been quote unquote holy before we started working from home because it was distinctly separate from the space where you live. And the priest was your tour guide through the holy spaces of God so that you could have fellowship and access to the presence of God freely. And the book of Leviticus outlines all the different ways in which the Israelites were to maintain holiness The priests were to maintain holiness and how the priests were to lead people into that holiness. In Israel, all sorts of things could have been considered holy. Certain kinds of eating utensils that you used for ceremonial purposes or festivals, for example, were holy. The Levites were holy because they were distinct from the rest of the tribes of Israel. They couldn't inherit any land, but they had a special role in each tribal state. The whole nation of Israel was considered holy from the other nations. This is precisely what the book of Leviticus is trying to accomplish. It is teaching the nation of Israel to maintain its separation, its separation apartness from the other nations. It's teaching Israel the way of holiness. What it's not doing is teaching Israel, and by proxy us, a way to become righteous or more righteous. The book of Leviticus is, as we just said, trying to teach us how Israel was to conduct themselves to be set apart from other people and nations. I just want to make that clear. Because we often miss that point. And should Israel ever want to be like other nations they would be quite literally desecrating and denying their holiness, like the sons of Aaron did when they offered up strange fire. They would be denying their representation of God. Okay, glad we cleared that up. That'll become important later. Anyway, in order to maintain this separation, the book outlines several things that are either holy or common. So they were either special or common, set apart or common. Common things were then even further categorized to be clean or unclean. A common unclean thing was, say, a pig, while a common clean thing would be, say, a lamb. But a special thing, a holy thing, a thing that was set apart that could be used for sacrifices, would be a spotless or unblemished lamb. Moses commands the people to reject the unclean things to maintain their separation from their pagan neighbors. Thus, it should be noted that much of Leviticus is in dialogue with these other pagan nation-states that surround Israel, but we don't have time for all of that. In the middle of the book of Leviticus, which, as we've talked about many times here and on our YouTube channel, is often the most important part in Hebrew literature, the center, the author describes a ceremonial day of the year that is still to this day considered the most holy day on the Hebrew calendar. That is, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. This was a day in which the high priest enacted his high priestly duties to administer a sacrifice. Sacrifices were essential to the Israelite identity in maintaining their fellowship with Yahweh. In order to be in a relationship with the divine, you must acknowledge the sacrificial process. And there were five sacrifices that were outlined in the beginning of the book that ensure a person would have ongoing fellowship with their creator. The first is what was called a burnt offering. This was a voluntary offering that signified a complete trust and devotion to God. The second offering outlined in the book is what's called a grain offering. This was another voluntary type of sacrifice that was to show thanksgiving to God. The third was called a fellowship offering or a peace offering that was, again, voluntary and required the first two types of sacrifices and symbolized thanksgiving and general fellowship with God. The fourth and fifth sacrifices, however, were mandatory sacrifices. The fourth sacrifice was called a sin offering, and it was made by someone who had sinned unintentionally or someone who was unclean trying to become clean. The fifth sacrifice was called a guilt offering, and it was made by a person who had either desecrated another person by acting unjustly toward them, or desecrating something holy, which in a sense was acting unrighteously. And once a year, there was this special day where the high priest would enact all of these sacrifices in various forms. A bull was then sacrificed for the sins of the high priest, and then the high priest would select two goats— and they were selected for two very different and very important purposes. The first goat would be killed, and the blood of the goat would then be sprinkled on the altar. Meanwhile, the second goat was then taken out into the wilderness, and Aaron, or the high priest, would transfer all of the sins of the nation of Israel onto the second goat and let it go. This became known as the scapegoat. The sins of the people were taken upon the body of this sacrifice and then released. This is mightily significant for several reasons. It teaches us that the character of the creator is one in which he desires to dwell with his people, as outlined in the book of Exodus and then exemplified in the book of Leviticus. He does not want their sins and injustices to create a barrier between him and them. But since it does, as we saw with Aaron's sons, He makes a way for the people to enter into his presence. He makes a way for his people to come close to him. If anything, the book of Leviticus should not speak to us of a God who wants to be pushed away and set far away from his people. It should not speak to us of a God who only wants the best of the best of the selected people. The book of Leviticus should paint for us a people who constantly, constantly mess up and fail, but a God who is faithful and willing to take that sin, to take that injustice, to take that unrighteousness. And put it on to another being, another being of his good created order, so that that person, that nation, so that you can know just how greatly loved you are. So that you can know how greatly he wants to be near you then it becomes clear that the voluntary sacrifices that are in place are not there out of an obligation to hope that God will then look favorably on you, but out of the revelation that this God cares so much for you and for your tribe, that this God sees your suffering and draws close to you, like he did with Hagar and like he did with Tamar. But it also teaches us something very significant and poignant. That has not yet previously been discussed. It teaches us that the nation of Israel, the entire nation, has the chance to crush the head of this snake. To crush the head of evil. Then the last section of the book deals largely with ragers. God was known for throwing awesome parties, apparently, since the last third of the book outlines these seven religious feasts and festivals that were to take place over the course of the entire year. These feasts and parties were to remind the people of what Yahweh had done and was continuing to do for them, much like the voluntary sacrifices. It started with Passover, which commemorated God delivering the people from Egypt. During Passover, the Israelites then celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread. At the outset of the fall, the Israelites then celebrated the festival of the first fruits, which gave thanks to God for a good harvest. Then Pentecost celebrated Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. The festival of the trumpets followed, signifying the start of a new year. And then the day of atonement, that really holy day where we just talked about all that stuff came shortly after that. And then finally the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles, which reminds the Israelite people of their wandering in the wilderness. These parties were an essential part of the Israelite sanctification process because it called the people to remember what Yahweh had done. It called the people to remember God's great power and then God's great willingness and faithfulness to dwell among them. And this would all be fantastic, no problem, except for Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3 says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, a censer is like a little dish, And they put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified and before all the people. I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. (laughs) Now, just before this passage, Aaron and his sons were consecrated into the priesthood. They were made sanctified holy priests. And Aaron just offered a sacrifice to atone for his sins. Whilst his sons are to do the same, which requires the sacrifice of a bull and the burning of its fat, they didn't do any of that. They instead offer some random offering that's not outlined anywhere in the previous chapters of Leviticus. And because of that, their sinful nature causes them to die in the presence of the Lord. Now, we may have trouble with this for a couple of reasons, but I want you to think of it more like this. If you were to take a rocket ship and fly directly into the sun, what would happen? I mean, you would explode? I don't know, I'm not a scientist. You would die, for sure. Because the nature of the sun is as such that when you, in your present current condition, gets close enough to it, you're vaporized. You die. Not because the sun is evil or inherently has a grudge against you, but simply because the sun is the sun and you are a person. And you can think of the holiness of God in the same way, that while you are in your sinful state of being, while you are in your current condition, because God is God, there simply can't be access between you and him. This means two significant things. For one, the human condition of sin denies a person from having fellowship with God forever. And so we need a priest to walk us through the very purification process that allows access to God. That's why the book of Leviticus is so important, because it outlines all of the ways that we, as sinful people, can have access and fellowship to God. At least in this part of the story, anyway. But the priestly line that allows us access to God has been desecrated by the two sons of Aaron. And so if this isn't made right, if this isn't corrected, human beings will never have access to God. And you know, Moses himself acts as a priest of priests throughout the whole book. He's guiding Aaron and his kin into the way of holiness. He's giving out all of these laws for holiness. He's truly guiding the people and the priests into the way of holiness. But as we saw in Exodus, and as you would read in Numbers, Moses too has compromised the holiness of God and desecrated his own set-apartness. We need a totally new priest. A priest who will not come and compromise the holiness of God. A priest who will allow unadulterated and free access to the God of the universe. We need a new priest. The Pentateuch authors might have a solution that we at least need to consider for the time being. At least, we need to consider it in this part of the story. In the book of Exodus, the author explains how the entire nation is supposed to be a kingdom of priests. We see in Exodus that the nation could not hold up to this standard, but the book of Leviticus seems to allude to the very idea that the whole nation is supposed to follow hard after God's own heart. If done correctly, Moses explains, then the nation of Israel will, in essence, defeat evil. If they dwell with God, they will crush the head of the serpent. If the nation of Israel does well by God's standards, if they follow the sacrifices and the feasts that are outlined throughout the book of Leviticus, then they will essentially become the snake crusher, crushing the head of the serpent that controls the evil nations and people. The snake crusher should then be a person or persons who show the world the goodness, the mercy, the justice of Yahweh. Much like what was outlined in the Garden of Eden story, the snake crusher should not only be a person who ushers in a new era of Yahweh's divine presence dwelling among his people, but the snake crusher, in the act of crushing the snake, must also make the divine presence of Yahweh accessible to the people, unlike what Moses could do. And if the nation of Israel does well, then we found our snake crusher. At least, that's what the author is setting up for us. But the author continues to write, and we will have to see if the nation can live up to these expectations next week. Thanks so much. My name is Austin, this was Bible Unbound, and hey, you should check out our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page. Man, we're just kind of all over the place. I don't know. If you're listening to this, then it would be a huge help if you could leave a review. I know that sounds weird, but that's just kind of how these things work. We want to invite people into the conversation of how the entire biblical epic is coming together in the person of Jesus. So, If you want other people to hear about this, then leaving a review would actually help. Also, sharing it wouldn't be too bad. But either way, no matter what, if you don't go and leave a review, if you don't share it, even if you don't check us out on any of the other platforms, man, I'm so glad that you're here exploring this awesome epic with me. I've had a lot of fun doing it, and it's meant so much to me. And because of that, keep going, and I'll see you next week.